0: Fantastic. Well, we have decided we are going even more unplugged than the unplugged. And I'm glad that there's some cheer in the room because I was up at the guys retreat yesterday. There was about 40 of us and we were playing basketball at one stage and the basketball was not competitive. It was lots of laughter and we are feeling far more sorer, um, today than we were yesterday beforehand. Uh, I'm going without slides today because I just think that's a good way to proceed. It's my choice, not the data projectors. Um, there's an amazing story you might have seen the movie Unbroken. A story about a US Olympic athlete. His name was Louis Zamperini. He was an uh, Olympic athlete, ran in Berlin. He was also uh, I, uh, was on a bomber, a fighter bomber in World War II. The story goes with Louis Zamperini is that his aircraft was shot down. And as the aircraft plummeted in the Pacific Ocean, it's only three of them survived. And for the next 47 days, Louis Amperini and two other men survived. Treacherous ordeal. At one stage in the video that you would have seen, and now but I'm going to make a far better description of it than what you would have seen on real screen... He's in the midst of all of the tumult and the waves, the tossing and turning as he's rescuing himself, literally in this little life raft, covering himself from the extreme. He prays a prayer. It's probably the prayer that you would pray in a desperate situation in which you're calling out and you're crying out to God and you make promises, right, in those times. We made a promise. He said, God, if you rescue me from this. I'll give my life to you. I will follow you. I will do whatever. I mean, you make all kinds of promises, don't you, in those situations? But in the next scene, there's this miraculous provision, if you like, of rain. Not too hard, not too soft, just enough for them to collect water and not dehydrate and die. They drink the water and they're nourished. And you think God has answered their prayer. But in the next scene, we find that there's a Japanese warship cruising by and they come across these prisoners of war. And they intern them, take them back to Japan. And their situation goes from answered to painful to harder and harder and harder. Leaves you wondering, God, if you answered that prayer... Why didn't things get better? But they got harder and harder and harder. These next two months we've been talking about prayer in the life of NCR. Prayer seems to be wired into the psyche of human beings, whether you're a God follower or not. We talked about the picture of God that, that the Bible projects is not one in which His distant and unobservant Not interested, but he's the kind of one that you'd want to approach like on a warm sofa, a couch that you would want to warm to and sidle up alongside and converse with and kind of pour out your heart. The next week we discovered that in some mysterious way the God of this universe seems to be want to be interacting with human beings like you and I. It's a mystery, but somehow God in His provision wants to use human beings to do His work here on earth. And the, the next week we talked about the rules and the engagement of, of prayer and that God looks at the heart. It's not sort of the, the merry dance. It's not saying the right words. It's just that God seems to see straight into someone's heart and know what they're thinking and feeling. And last week we discovered that if you... Draw up close routinely in your life to this couch, if you like, to God. He rubs off and He kind of shines through you. But today I want to address a topic that is a really difficult one because it comes with heartache and confusion and pain. But it's the question that whether you're a God follower or not, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, that we all need to answer. And that is that, God, what about the times that I've called out to you and asked and there's been silence. The Louis Zamperini kind of prayer where you've provided, but then it's got worse. What about that? You see, in my experience with, with God, there's been times in which I've prayed for things and I've experienced His miraculous provision. I, I've few times I've heard audibly His voice. Other times where I've heard and witnessed people have said, I prayed and God miraculously healed me. And then simultaneously, there's also been times when I've prayed and it feels like my prayers are hitting the roof and there's silence and there's dryness. And when I've prayed for someone for the poor medical report to to improve, it's only got worse. I've sat next to people whose whose loved ones are dying and I've prayed and they've died. Hopefully not because of the way I prayed, but you know. So surely the question that's on our lips when we talk about this theme of prayer that we must answer surely is, God, we can see you in the good times, but where are you in the hard times? Where are you in the times when I pray and there's no answer? So I want to talk about that this morning and the time I have remaining. When people pray, they pour out their heart to God. Why are there some times in which the prayers are unanswered? Unless that is here this morning, there's some of you who have a a really special line with God and you have a 100% strike rate. If that's you, could you just stick your hand up because I want to invite you up here this morning and you are going to do the talk. But I reckon that the experience, whether you're a God follower or not, there's times when you have called out to God Isn't it true? So there's three things I want to mention this morning. Three things that I consider when I try and unpack this profound human question. So the very one I start with is I want to back up and I want to back up and I want to back up. And I ask it more broadly, God, if you're out there, why don't you answer some questions? And the Bible gets a little bit clearer and provides some insight into this. In fact, there was a a man by the name of James, and he's a brother of Jesus. And he writes to a group of people who are living in Jerusalem, who are Jesus' followers. And as a result of that, they're kind of trying to live a life that reflects and shines God. But he's seeing that in their lives, there's all this kind of other... Quibbling and quarreling and there's wrestling and arguments within relationships. And so in the book of James, he he, he writes these words in chapter 4. He says this, You want something but you don't get it. You covet things and you don't get what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you're asking for on yourselves. It seems as though James here is trying to impress upon those would-be followers of Jesus the simple truth that goes something like this. God is not your Santa. He's God. And that there are times in your life when you may ask for things and God seems to be in the business of not giving you everything you ask. In fact... If you pressed him a little bit further, he would say, it's got to do with motives. I think James would whisper, know your motives. Have you ever asked for something and you haven't received it and you've wondered in hindsight, gee, if I had have received that, I wonder what it would have been like for me. You're in a situation that you've got yourself into and you've made a mess and you call out to God and say, God, would you help me? Will you fix this particular thing? And from his vantage point, he looks down and goes, you know what? If I fix that for you, I will be taking the responsibility that you need to take in your own life. Stop asking me to fix something that you got yourself into. In fact, when you're asking that for that thing from where I sit, my perspective, it's completely different from yours. If you get that, if you receive that, I think it'll take you into places that you would never dreamed of. In fact, it'll take you further away from me than it will be close to me. You see, God seems to be not in the business of giving everything we ask. So, I wonder here this morning: Have you ever experienced the regret of getting what you wanted for? Have you ever experienced the regret of getting what you wanted? Yeah. Some years ago, when my wife and I were just newly married, we were living down Warrigal, and we we're in our sort of first year of of wedded bliss. And in that place, she came back one day, it was coming up to our anniversary and she said, honey, I, I have been to the pet store. <laughs> she said, I have been to the pet store and I've found the cutest two little birds that you would not imagine. And, and, and they're like these little lorikeet, parakeet kind of things, but they're really small and they're called lovebirds. And she said, I think these lovebirds would be a wonderful memento and expression of our, our first year anniversary of love together. Um, and, and they're called lovebirds and you can't just buy one because they come as a a him and a her, they come as a twin set. So she said, I reckon we should have as little representations kind of of us, um, is to get these lovebirds and bring them into our home. So when people come into our home, they can say, what are those? And you can say, well, it's just really an expression of our love. (laughs) These two little Lovebirds. And I went, well, you know, I'm not really into pets that much and birds. I haven't had that much you know, dealings. Where she said, I reckon it'll be great. And, and, and these two little lovebirds, it's kind of be like a you and a me, a him and a her. And it'll just, it'll be great. I want to celebrate an anniversary. And after a little while, I said, okay, all right. Okay, get, go and get those lovebirds. And so she did. It took about a week. She brought the two lovebirds in and we we had them in our kitchen and she had this little cage that they were in and she hung them up and and they were beautiful. Um, And and every time we discovered that we talked, they would talk as well. And and the the problem with lovebirds is they love talking loudest and I didn't know this. So as they were talking, as we were talking, they talked louder. When we answered the phone and spoke, they spoke louder. Louder. Uh, when, when cars drove by outside the house, they, they chirped up. Even, when we had guests over, they talked. After one week, uh, I turned to him and said, I can't stand this anymore. <laughs> I took those lovebirds and I just walked them outside the house and put them down on the back veranda. After about half an hour, after about half an hour, I wondered, where, where are those things? They're really quiet. And I stepped outside and there was a cat. No, no kidding. It looked like this. <laughs> and the lovebirds were like this. I took those lovebirds back to the shop and I said, you don't have to pay us a thing. You can just have them. Have you ever received something and regretted receiving something that you so wanted, that you so looked forward to, that you so thought was going to make your life enriched, but it didn't? You say, I wonder if James might be reflecting upon this and saying, God is not your Santa Claus, he's God. And there are some times there's from where he sits where he asks you your motives and he realizes that it's not a need, it's a want. And you think your life is going to be wrapped up in this particular thing. that If you ask for it and get it, it's going to make it so much better. And he goes, no, no, I I, I look in and I see your motives and I also have a different perspective. Far bigger than your one. And it reaches beyond. I'm not your Santa Claus, I'm your God. And I wonder this morning if he might whisper... I know what's best for you. I know what's best. First thing I want to say when it comes to this unanswered prayer question, I wonder if James would say, I want you to know your motives. Why are you asking for it? Because it can cause quarrels. And when you do ask, you just want to get it for yourself. God says, I have a bigger picture. You do not understand I wonder if he might whisper to you this morning. Second thing, as we plunge in a little bit deeper, know your motives, but know his motives. There's a writer in the Bible that's probably written most of the pages, or many of the pages, or many of the letters, if you like, in the New Testament. His name is Paul. He had an incredible experience of God on a road to Damascus. He was anti-Jesus, if you like. He was an atheist about Jesus, and he was going around persecuting people who were following him. In fact, if you asked him, he would say, my story was that on my way to persecuting people who were following Jesus, I had a radical encounter with God. I mean, there was bright lights, there was visions, there was blindness, and I had a total transformative encounter with God. In fact, it was with Jesus himself. revolutionized my life. And ever since then, I've been going around uh, Asia Minor, going around the countryside, talking to people about this radical person, Jesus. So much so that there have been times when I've been in shipwrecks. I've been in prison. I've been uh, beaten by people. I have been uh, stoned uh, by people throwing rocks at me. He said, my life has been hard, but I've also had encounters with God in which he was taken me up into his heavens, and I've seen things that I cannot even describe to you about what he's like. And then he goes on at the near the end of that letter that he's writing to Greek-speaking people who live in Corinth. He, he says this about his experience. He, he writes to them in, in chapter 12. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited or proud because of my experiences with Jesus and God, because of this Um, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations I received, there's been given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger, he says he describes, like Satan himself, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with God to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's interesting. We don't know what the nature of his torment was. This buffeting messenger he said from the evil one, uh, Some people have speculated it was people persecuting him. Other people have said maybe it was a physical ailment, others, some psychological condition. Whatever it was, it describes Paul as calling out to God and saying, "God, would you take it away? Would you take it away? Would you take it away?" And God's reply back to Paul is, "Don't you understand?" There's something I want to do in you that will allow me to better shine through you. You see, Paul, you have all these gifts, you have these abilities, you have these strengths. And like any human being in a workplace or at home, if you're accomplishing things, it's very easy for you to say, I did this, I did that. It was my strength, it was my ability, it was my goodness, it was my, my. And God says back to Paul. Don't you know, I want to take you into places where you learn not to just say, I'm reliant on me, but that you're reliant on God. I wonder if you've ever considered that God wants to do a work in you so that he can shine better through you. And that there might be circumstances and situations in your life when there's hardship That comes, if you like, a thorn in the flesh that he does not remove. Because he wants you to sink your roots deep down into who he is. So that when the other storms and winds blow, you will be matured, resilient, and relying upon his grace, his supernatural ability to accomplish in your life what you cannot do for yourself. In Him. I remember some years ago, the first night I woke up choking to death. I woke up in a in an arrest, not being able to breathe. It was kind of like this. I turned to Bron and I said, "I think I'm dying." She said, "That's interesting because you're still talking." <laughs> I said, my heart rate is really slow. My hands are sweaty. I've got perspiration and I feel weak. Um, I think I'm dying. She said, okay, what are we going to do? I said, well, I'm going to drive myself to hospital. <laughs> you don't book a taxi. You don't do an Uber. You just, you just, you do, don't you? When you're dying, you just book, you just jump in your car and you're dressed. So I drove to Box Hill Hospital and I checked myself in. I went into the triage section. I said, I think I'm dying. A- a- and they said, take a seat. <laughs> And, and then after a while, they, they found for me uh, a bed. And, and they laid me down on it at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. And, and they took some sort of basic sort of med things and they, they did the, the vitals. That's what they call them. And, and then they left me there for the next six or seven hours. <laughs> um, and as I lay there, I, I realized that I hadn't died. And, and so at 7 a.m. in the morning, when I still hadn't been seen, I just thought, well, I better just go see my GP. And, and so I did. I, I left the hospital I, I, I just didn 't know you needed to check out. I just left and, and, and I got in my car and I drove to my g p and, and She said to me, "Troy, you have this thing oh, watch this video." <laughs> and I watched this video and and i went that 's me this this anxiety stuff ah oh, i didn 't know." And then when I found out that there was a glitch in my family that's been passed down through the generations, thank you very much, genetics, and, and in the right circumstances, in the right situation, in the right framework, and, and, and it kind of trips your mind a bit, and you, you have this sort of uncontrollable moments, and if anyone's experienced that stuff, you will know exactly what I mean, and I went, oh, I have a thing called a, a mild OCD. Isn't that wonderful? If you have one of those out here today, join the club, it's great. I remember catching up with a friend who is work, was working for Nike sales. He's looking after all of Oceania, a high-paying job. And he sat down. we sat down in, the, in, in, in St. Uh, Fitzroy at, at a cafe. And he, and he said to me, Troy, what's going on? And I explained it to him. And he said, wow, Troy, this is the best opportunity of your entire life. I went, really? How is this? <laughs> he said, because God might be wanting to tell you something, because your body certainly is. And now's the opportunity in your life to discover some things about yourself that you would otherwise never know unless you actually press on and press through. You see, I was praying, God, would you take this anxiety stuff away from me? God, would you do this for me? God, would you make it better? God, would you? And he didn't. In fact, what I discovered was this. Is that when I learned to slow my mind down, when I learned to exercise and eat right, when I took some medication... And still do. And when I began to sink my roots down deeper into prayer and reflection and meeting with him. I've discovered over the years that I've been able to connect with a power from God and an energy to sustain me. And a relationship that is deeper that I would not have had wasn't if it wasn't for My glitch. You see, Paul goes on and he writes these words. Therefore, if that's what God is on about sometimes, when he knows his motivation is for human beings to find their strength and source in him, Paul concludes this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Jesus' power might rest upon me. That's why. For Jesus' sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, he says then, I am weak strong you see he was discovering something that is upside down to the world around about which goes something like this is that God wants to bring us into places in knowing his motivation that we might find a power source in him that it's not us doing all the things but it's God working in and through us so to sustain us and mature us and make us more resilient through the hardships in life that will come does that make sense why does God not answer some prayers sometimes I wonder if it's got something to do with knowing our motives and then knowing his motivation. And then lastly, this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I still remember one of my professors at college saying to me, Older man, godly bloke, Bible college. He said, I still to this day do not know why God allowed my wife to drive her car out the front driveway. And when she turned left out onto the road in front, why God didn't allow her to see the oncoming car. I still don't know to this day why she turned out and God didn't miraculously intervene The car smashed into my wife's car and she was instantly killed. He said, this side of heaven, if you like, this side of a new heavens and a new earth, I don't know. I've been twice to India, northern regions, Hindi speaking, Hindu community where little remnants of Jesus followers are kind of cropping up. I remember visiting the first time and being in a group of of, of about 20 young men who were all wanting to kind of talk about their faith in Jesus and be equipped for that, going back out into their villages. And I asked them one by one to stand up and say, what is it that first attracted you to Jesus in this Hindu culture? And one by one, at least half of them said, someone prayed for me and I got healed. That's what first switched me on to Jesus. I said, wow, fascinating. I went back and I spoke to the pastor of the, the church that was running all of this at the time. And I said to him, I said, I said, I said, I said, let me get this straight. Over half of the young people who are here is because God's actually showed up in a miraculous way. So I said, what happens when you pray for people and God doesn't answer? And he said this to me straight back. He said, well, firstly, we don't ask that question. He said that's a western question. Ah. Oh. You see, so there was this time where I was in a little village and it was surrounded by eucalyptus trees because eucalyptus are everywhere in India. They're not native. They've been planted. And, and, and I remember sitting there and there was this little gathering, this church service and the guys at the front playing their instruments, girls in the middle with all the colored salaries and then the hangar honorers, right? The village people, not the band, but you know, just on. And, and I remember being there at the time and at the end they would, they, would, they would praise, preach, pray. And then at the end, this elderly woman was dragging herself down to the very front and it translated to me. They said, she has got, a, 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 a tummy that's getting larger, and it's it's painful, and it's and I'm sitting there thinking this is some sort of cancer, and it's it's bad, and and I remember sitting there, and they they want you to pray for her, and I remember looking up into the distance and seeing a hospital, and I thought to myself there is no way this poor woman would ever be allowed into that hospital. All that we have right now is prayer, and so I prayed, and I don't know what happened to her. But I remember going back and asking the the pastor, what happens when when God doesn't answer? And he said, well, he's answering enough. (laughs) So we kind of just leave the other stuff up to him. Why doesn't God sometimes answer our prayers? Know your motives. Know his motivation. And I don't no. But I do know this. Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. Why does God not sometimes answer prayer? Know your, your motives. Know his motivation, and I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus says to someone who follows him, he says, I have overcome all things, and lo, I will be with you through the hardship and the trials and the tribulations, through unanswered prayer and answered prayer, and lo, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. I do not know why God doesn't answer some things, but I do know that Jesus says he's overcome, and I do know that Jesus says he will be with you, and I do know Jesus said he hung on a cross so that you could know him and be with him right now and forever. Why does God sometimes not answer prayer? Know your motives. Know God's motivation to sink deeper. And I don't know, but I do know this. Mark and Zach and the band are going to come and sing a song for a moment and do some reflection. And as they do, I just wonder here this morning. Have you prayed to God and it's been unanswered and you're mad at him? I wonder if you're here this morning and you've been calling out and asking and you think, is there something wrong with me? I wonder if you're here this morning and you just carry this kind of this lack of kind of trust in Him because you feel let down. I wonder if you might whisper to this morning, would you trust me again, even when you don't know and may never know this side of eternity? As these guys sing, just wonder if you might allow God to speak to you. And then after they've done that, we're going to pause for a moment and enter into a space we call communion. Where you might be able to draw close to him and thank him for what he's done and who he is. And allow him to nourish your soul.